Good morning. Welcome to Crestview Inspiration, a ministry of encouragement from Crestview Baptist Church in Canton, North Carolina. We want to share with you sweet songs of worship and an uplifting word from the scriptures. While you listen, may the spirit of grace flow from heaven into your heart and home, right where you are. And woe is me, 
friend. I'm glad to be back with you today, and I'm going to be continuing in the 11th chapter of Daniel. I'm so thankful for this anointed worship music and the atmosphere of worship that prepares our hearts to receive God's Word. So I ask you to prepare your heart right now for the Word of the Lord as we listen to the music that exalts Christ and the one true and living God in heaven. The prophecies in this very important chapter of God's Word from the book of Daniel have been given to us for a purpose, to study and to seek wisdom and understanding what God has done in the past, what God is doing currently in the world, and then what God will do in the future. The prediction of verses 1 through 35 that we've already tracked along in the last four weeks concerned the Greek empires and Persian empires and all the wars And it all came true over the course of 360 years, from the time of Cyrus to the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. And it came true with remarkable accuracy. This accuracy could only be from the divine inspiration of these prophetic scriptures that were given to Daniel. God knew in advance what the future held, and he gave Daniel this detailed information about what was going to happen. Now, fast forward 2,500 years, and here we are in the year 2020, in the year of our Lord. We come to verse 36, which shifts gears to a time in the near future for us. Dr. David Jeremiah writes about this prophetic language and the tendency to jump time frames, such as two events that are back-to-back in prophecy, but are separated by a significant time span, such as the case between verse 35 and verse 36 of Daniel 11. He writes, prophetic language was always spoken and written that way, like looking at what appears to be a mountain peak in the distance, only to discover that there are two or three peaks separated by valleys instead of only one. But looking from a distance is sometimes hard to distinguish where one ends and the other begins, such as the way of prophecy. And we can see that in this passage And we understand that Daniel 11, verses 36 through 39, witness the unveiling of the person that we understand as the coming Antichrist in a future time frame yet to be fulfilled. The time jump is at least 2,200 years, but it will happen as predicted. The scripture uses the term Antichrist in a few places. In fact, it's not used in the present passage in Daniel, but we do see it in the letters of First and Second John. In Second John 7, the Apostle John writes, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. The Scripture speaks of those who claim to know Christ, 
but they in fact deny that Jesus is the Messiah and the God-man coming into flesh. We see in 1 John 4, 2 through 3, that those who confess that the Son, Jesus, and his coming in the flesh are those who come from God. Those who do not confess that Jesus is the Christ and his coming in the flesh are called antichrists. 1 John 2, 22 says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. The scripture also says in 1 John 2, 18, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. The Antichrist here in these verses refer to those individuals who reject Jesus Christ as Lord. The Antichrist of Daniel 11 referred to a specific world dictator, a man who not only rejects Jesus Christ as Lord, but places himself in the highest position of authority to be worshipped as Lord. Ultimately, after the sequence of kingdoms from Daniel's time to the time of the end, we're going to see the unveiling of the future kingdom of the Antichrist, whose rule occurs during the time of the seven-year tribulation. This is the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, This is the time of the vengeance of the Lord. And this time will witness the man of sin who will be revealed and who will be headquartered in Israel. So let's take a look at Daniel 11, 36 through 39. The scripture says, Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the God of gods, and shall prosper until the wrath has been accomplished, for what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall exalt himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses, and a God which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus He shall act against the strong fortresses with a foreign God, which he shall acknowledge and advance its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. I want to speak about the unveiling of the Antichrist. The unveiling of the Antichrist gives us a concrete description of this cruel ruler. What we can learn about the Antichrist we see in in four descriptions are four characteristics. Number one, the Antichrist will be a willful and cruel ruler. This king or ruler, which appears in verse 36, recalls the prophecy of Daniel 7 and the little horn. In Daniel 7, the scripture says, I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, and he shall persecute the saints of the Most High. This person also appears as the prince who is to come in Daniel 9. The Bible says the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. So this little horn and this prince to come is the same person identified here in verse 36 as the king. But this king of verse 36 has to be distinguished from the king of the north 
which we have been studying throughout this passage. That would have been a Greek king who only ruled an area in the Middle East, a specific geographical area. However, verse 40 proves that the king of the north and the king of the south both will attack this king. So this king cannot be the king of the north, which uh, if you've been tracking with us, you know, was the Seleucid king who descended from the Greek kings from Alexander the Great, as we've seen throughout this chapter. So this man in verse 36 appears to most ancient and modern commentators to be the prophesied world dictator, what we know as the Antichrist. The scriptures describe him as a man who does everything according to his own will. This echoes what we have seen of Alexander the Great and Antiochus Epiphanes, a prefigure of the Antichrist. They both did as they pleased, but this ruler will exert his own will upon the entire world. The scope and extent of that exertion of his will will be over the whole world, unlike his predecessors. The Antichrist will be a willful and cruel ruler. Number two, the second characteristic is the Antichrist will exalt himself as God. One of the key characteristics of the Antichrist, the little horn, is his rejection of Christ as God and the embracing of self-worship, somewhat like Antiochus did with putting his name on his coins. He put Theos Epiphanes, which means God manifest. But unlike Antiochus, this man will blaspheme God and go beyond what anyone has ever done in establishing himself as God to be worshipped. Antiochus still held to some form of pagan worship by installing a statue of Zeus in the holy temple of Jerusalem and requiring the Jews to worship Zeus. But this man will magnify himself above every god and even above the one true and living God, the God of the Bible, whom we know as Yahweh, the great I Am. In fact, verse 37 indicates he will not show regard for the gods of his fathers, the God longed for by women, or for any other God, because he will magnify himself above all. The God longed for by women can be understood to mean the Jewish women of that day longed to be the mother of the Messiah. The New Testament book of 2 Thessalonians describes this man who will take control of the whole world and exalt himself to be worshipped as God. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. The world ruler, the man of sin, who predictably will become the prime minister of a strengthened United Nations, shall wrest total control and authority in the world over all nations and governments, and in an arrogant display of his atheist-type agenda, will openly blaspheme God. He will speak outrageous things against God. This is a primary characteristic of the Antichrist, that he will exalt himself above God and blaspheme God. Friend, be on the lookout for such a prominent personality to rise up and take control of the United Nations the sovereignty of individual nations eventually will be 
conceded to the authority of the United Nations. And the chaos in the world at this time will cause the world to be open to a strong authority figure who will straighten out the problems the world has. The financial crisis, the health crisis, the global crises will provide an opening for this ruler to rise to power in the world. But he ultimately will exalt himself as God in a blasphemous way. The third characteristic is the Antichrist will acknowledge a new God of fortresses. This prophetic statement speaks of a God which his fathers did not know. This foreign God in verse 38 and 39 remains a mystery. But in all probability, according to the prophecies of Revelation 13 and 2 Thessalonians 2, this God is a God of power, not like any other God. And the power to rule the world intoxicates this man as he declares himself worthy of worship for the world's population. This person is identified in Revelation 13 as the beast. The Bible says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority, continued for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The unknown God refers to himself. As he receives the worship of the whole world, this person is empowered by the dragon, which we know is Satan, Lucifer, the fallen angel. We see once again his mouth speaking blasphemous things, So in Daniel 7, he's the little horn with a mouth that speaks blasphemous things. Here in Daniel 11, he's the king who speaks blasphemous words against the God of gods, which is Yahweh, the one true and living God. And again in Revelation 13, he's the beast who opens his mouth in blasphemy against God. The primary characteristic of the Antichrist is his blasphemy, which he speaks against God, and his declaration that he is worthy of worship. This reminds me of some notable dictators, especially one today, particularly Kim Jong-un, who has essentially declared himself God in North Korea, requiring the citizens of North Korea to fall down and worship him. And if someone fails to worship him, the enlightened ruler, the savior of North Korea, he could be imprisoned or even executed. This kind of self-worship foreshadows what will happen in the not-so-distant future to the whole world with the Antichrist. It's coming. Friend, get ready. 
And then the fourth characteristic is the Antichrist will prosper until the end of the tribulation. This phrase indicates that the world dictator will cause prosperity not only for himself in favor through political and financial terms, but the world will seem to believe that this ruler has what it takes to rule the world. They will see miracle-working power in his life and admire him greatly. In fact, the world will embrace this charismatic leader and his leadership in the world enthusiastically. What is striking about this prophecy is that the ungodly dictator whom the world admires is energized by Satan, and he will have a specific dominion He will persecute believers in Christ for a specific time. We know that the tribulation is seven years, but there seems to be a particular three and a half years where it's really bad, according to the prophecy. He will advance the glory of this foreign God and cause these people who honor him to have a ruling authority over divided pieces of land in the world. So there will seem to be a prosperity from one perspective, for this measured time for the world dictator. But just as verse 36 says, he shall prosper until the wrath has been accomplished for what has been determined shall be done. God will finish his plan and we can trust in God to help us through the trials and troubles of these turbulent times. Friend, let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we read your prophecies and we listen to your Holy Spirit and we study your word to prepare ourselves to be a people ready for the coming marriage supper of the Lamb. We desire you. We desire to be with you. But God, in the interim, we desire to make known to the nations the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sins and eternal life found in only the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man who was fully God and fully man, who came and offered himself on the cross, who gave himself for us, and who defeated death and arose from the dead the third day and now rules and reigns in heaven, awaiting the day when he'll come and receive his church. I pray, O God, that we'll be a bride ready for the groom. We'll have our lamps trimmed and ready. And God, that you'll strengthen us in this hour as the world is in turmoil, as the COVID-19 and the turbulence of this world swirls around us. God, that we'll keep our eyes upon you and upon your promise that you have measured out all time frames and you've done it all. You've got a plan for all humanity and you've got a plan for each of us as individuals. God, may we see the fulfillment of your purpose in our lives as we speak the name of Jesus Christ and his saving grace to a world that desperately needs to hear. There is a God that loves them, that has a plan, and will fulfill his plan. So, God, we worship you, and we honor you, and we look to you for strength. And I pray that everyone listening today, Father, will know that you love them and that you're reaching out to them through the Spirit, touch their heart, Bring them to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and of his saving grace. And I pray in that almighty name of Jesus, Yeshua the Mashiach, whose name we pray, amen. So friend, remember today that God is still in control and he will accomplish what has been determined in his divine plan for the future. God is faithful and God will take care of you. 
He loves you with an everlasting love, and he always takes care of his children. Lean on God and trust him. Delight yourself in God and trust his plan, not only for all humanity, but for your life as well. God does all things well. So until next week, God bless you. Thank you for listening to Crestview Inspiration. May this ministry touch your heart, encourage you, and strengthen you. And may the Lord bless you in your spiritual walk this week. So on behalf of the Crestview family, we invite you back next week, Friday at 10 a.m. on WPTL as we spread the good news of Jesus.